You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 108. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 108. Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, master certified life coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, supermoms. It is a beautiful September day. I just love this month. I feel like the weather is usually really nice, unless here in California it's smoky, which it is no longer. We have blue skies, which is wonderful. I just spent my birthday, my birthday's in September, up and visiting my son at college. We snuck across the border. He's about 20 minutes from the Canadian border. Well, we didn't really sneak. <laughs> we had lots of documents to prove ourselves worthy of crossing into Canada. And it was so nice just to get that like, change of scenery. And and I noticed it more. I think COVID has really showed me what I more about myself, you know, what I need for sanity, what I love, what I can live without, what I can't live without. And I just noticed how much I enjoyed hearing multiple languages being spoken around me. To be in the city of Victoria, which is the city I was named after. I haven't been there since I was like 10 years old. And so we went to Victoria, which is on Vancouver Island. And there's just so many different languages and it's a very international city. And I just noticed how comfortable it made me. And it just relaxed me, which I thought was so interesting. So I loved it. My son and I travel so well together. We just like to do the same things. In fact, you've heard me talk about play personalities. Both my son and I share the explorer is like our number one play personality. And my husband and my daughter do not. They don't like to explore. And it's mind boggling to me. (laughs) So traveling with half my family is very different because I want to go out and just see what there is to see and get a lay of the land and just explore everything new. And uh, my son has that same personality type. So we had a great time. So lovely. So now I'm back and I am here to talk to you about anger today. (laughs) We're going to talk about when moms get mad. But before we do, I want to, this podcast will come out uh, the day before or the day on my free webinar. So if you are not signed up, get on over to lifecoachingforparents.com slash pandemic teens with a hyphen in between the words pandemic teens and register for the free webinar I'm doing. So what happens is that Teenagers, you know, they're already at a challenging time. It's already a a phase of life that is really stressful, okay? They're learning to separate from mom and dad. They're learning to be independent, hear their own voice. And one of the things that helps bridge that gap from being dependent on parents to being fully independent is the relationship with their peers, which got really undermined during the pandemic. And 
<laughs> we're seeing a lot of mental health challenges in our teens and a lot of struggles. And so this webinar is designed for parents, moms in particular, who want to help their teens. They keep trying to tell them what to do, how to help them. Here's what you need. Just do it this way. And all this wonderful advice is falling on deaf ears. Kids are teenagers. They don't want to listen to us. They think they know everything. They think their parents are clueless. And in a way, we... I don't say we're clueless. If our kids would take our advice, they would live wonderful lives. <laughs> the problem is that the culture that they're growing up in is very different than the culture that we grew up in. Just this media-induced social culture, this like idea like I have to act like I don't need anyone or anything and to act like I don't want a boyfriend and I don't want a relationship. I'm not lonely. I'm not disconnected. <laughs> like all this, like having to act as though I don't need people when I really, really need people is taking a toll on the mental, social, emotional well-being of our kids and just all the stress of academics. There's just not a lot of uh, encouragement to play and relax and enjoy this pleasures of life. So parents need help. <laughs> we need to know how to connect with these kids, how to get through to them in a way they can hear and listen. And so please join my free webinar. Tell your friends if any of them are struggling with their teens. You can go to leadingyourteen.com. On the webinar, I'm going to be talking about this class that I'm offering, which is a group coaching class for moms to help them kind of help their teenagers navigate these tumultuous times and these tumultuous years. And so it's really a, you know, kind of really supportive, wonderful place for moms to go to where they can talk about their teens. It's hard because you want support from your friends, but you also want to protect the privacy of your teenagers. And so having this online coaching program really will help you mamas get in the right mindset, mental and emotional place so that you can help your teenagers, so that you can tap into your inner wisdom, help them find their own answers, help them trust themselves while you learn to trust yourself, have confidence in your ability as a mom and also your confidence in your child's ability to rise to every occasion that presents itself, help them become more resilient. So many wonderful things come out of leading your teen. I can't talk about it or it will take the whole hour because it's such a delightful class. So if you are at all interested, if you're struggling with your teenager or you feel like they're struggling and you want to help them, please go to leadingyourteen.com and learn more about the group coaching class. I will post a recording of the webinar on that page. So if you miss it, on the 22nd of September, then you can go to leadingyourteen.com and find the recording. All right, let's get to today's question from Angelica. She writes, Dear Tori, my preteen just pointed out that every time I have to drive him somewhere, I act annoyed, which annoyed me. My teenager piggybacked on that, saying I'm always mad and yelling at her to pick up her things and do her chores which irritated me. My partner joined in saying he can't remember the last time he and I had fun together, which totally pissed me off. 
what is happening to me? Am I developing anger issues? The last few days, I started observing every time I felt angry. Good for you, Angelica. (laughs) Observation and awareness is step one. All right, Angelica writes, I'm mad at other drivers who don't drive more carefully around schools. I'm mad at the poor job our school is doing to accommodate my child's learning disability. I'm mad that I have to work full-time and have a full-time messy house. I don't think of myself as an angry person. If anything, I'm too nice and a bit of a pushover. Where do I go from here? Angelica. All right. What a wonderful question. I love the self-awareness. I love that you took time to observe. But let me just say that it sucks when your family gangs up on you and piggybacks, as you said, on each other's complaints. That's just not nice. And I'm sorry that you got called out in this way. That's not a fun thing to get to experience. So let's talk about the parent educator answer. And I think it'd be good to start with, you said, where do I go from here? Okay, I have some awareness that I'm angry a lot. I'm sure it feels justified. Like, I'm sure you think, like, these are good and appropriate things to be angry about. But there's also that other side of your brain that is saying, my whole family thinks I'm angry. (laughs) Maybe I don't want to be an angry person. So I would say the first step is to talk talk about where not to go. What you don't want to do is you don't want to go from anger to guilt and shame. It's tempting. A lot of us like, oh my God, I'm an angry person. My whole family thinks I'm angry. Like I'm, what a terrible mother I am. What a horrible person, whatever. We don't want to go there. It's easy to do so, but it's What keeps us stuck in the exploding doormat cycle, which I think I've talked about before on this podcast. So we turn into exploding doormats when we feel bad, feel guilty for yelling, for being short or snappy with our kids. This guilt causes us to abandon our boundaries, to cater to our kids' desires, ignoring our own desires, and becoming overly accommodating, which then ignites our anger. When we ignore our own boundaries and we're overly accommodating, naturally and appropriately, we get pissed. (laughs) This is supposed to happen because it's anger is here to help us set boundaries. But then we get snappy, yell at our kids, and it continues the exploding dormant cycle. So the repression of anger does not help us learn the lessons that anger is trying to teach us. Most women are taught to swallow their anger, keep it inside, and not express it. Some women learn to express anger in a way that violates other people's boundaries. Yelling, blaming, cursing, name-calling. These are all unhealthy ways that we witness other people expressing anger, but that isn't really helping things move forward, resolving conflict, standing up for what you want. So those are different things. Anger has a purpose. It's here to help us identify injustices and give us the strength to right wrongs and set firm boundaries. So rather than suppressing or expressing anger, we want to use it. So we we tend to do one of two things, right? We tend to suppress it or we tend to express it because that's what we see. When we think of anger, we see those two things happening. But instead, we want to use it as fuel. So let's try this for a minute. 
Everybody, close your eyes. Closing your eyes helps to disconnect the brain. And so if you're not driving your car, (laughs) take a deep breath in and close your eyes. And feel around in your body for any anger that you're carrying around with you. Look around in your mind and in your body for anything that says it's not fair. In the past, for me, my anger, my resentment, my bitterness mostly showed up towards my husband. (laughs) I raged against our unequal division of labor, and I felt justified. So the first step in turning rage into the fuel required to make change is compassion. This anger isn't to be ignored or tolerated even. It's healthy. Your anger is important. As you identify it in the body and you give it the reverence it deserves, you allow it to turn from suppression into curiosity, which gives you the strength you need to set healthy boundaries. Hmm. Ask yourself, what do I need that I'm not getting? If your answer is I need to get my daughter to do her chores, then go broader. Take a deep breath in, close your eyes again. Get less specific and more general. Take a deep breath and ask again with compassion, what do I need that I'm not getting? Listen for an answer from your higher self. It may communicate with a one-word answer. It will have a softer, subtler sentence. It won't be that kind of verbal argumentative repetition of what you've been saying of like, I just need my husband to step up and do more around the house. It'll sound something more like, I need more support or I need kindness. I need an apology. I need respect. I need justice. Or maybe I just need a freaking break. (laughs) Then. Ask yourself the next question with compassion. What am I experiencing that feels unbearable? So I'm going to repeat the two questions to ask yourself. Once you breathe, you close your eyes, you take a breath, you feel around for the anger. You ask yourself, what do I need that I'm not getting? Wait for an answer to emerge. Try not to like think about it. Just see if an answer comes to you. And then ask yourself, what am I experiencing that feels unbearable? A lot of my supermom clients are surprised at the answer that their their higher selves give them. While that critical chatty left brain will give long-winded answers about all the changes that need to be made in the world, and the quiet wisdom of the right brain often lets them know maybe it's loneliness, disconnection, or overwhelm. Something like that that might feel unbearable. Maybe it's the injustice that it hasn't been acknowledged. It's going to be something subtler but important to listen to. When I was raging against the inequity of household responsibilities with my husband, and I asked myself, what do I need that I'm not getting? The answer was rest. I was driving myself so hard trying to prove that I was doing all the work. 
I wouldn't allow myself any leisure time. If I did, it's not that I didn't sit down. The problem was when I sat down, I would feel guilty about it. (laughs) And so it may have looked like leisure, but it didn't feel like leisure. And I see a lot of other super moms doing the same thing. I wouldn't allow myself to spend time or money doing things that I enjoyed, at least not guilt-free. So having compassion for my anger helped me channel it into releasing the guilt and pressure I was putting on myself. I used my anger to override my inner drill sergeant, and I started having more fun. When I asked myself, what am I experiencing that feels unbearable, the answer all the mental arguing I was doing, trying to get my husband to change his ways. (laughs) Once I took the blame off of him and I took 100% responsibility for how I was feeling and put that on me, this was so much more empowering. I no longer was I a victim to, you know, waiting for him to change his behavior so that I could feel good. Suddenly, I took my power back. I felt so free. I started learning more about what it's like to be married to a rebel personality type. If you know anything about Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies, I started reading about the rebel personality type, which I thought should have been required reading before I got married. And then I started learning about ADHD and what it's like to be married to someone with ADHD, which really resonated with me. So reading books, watching videos of And listening to other people who were in similar situations gave me the support and the compassion for my husband as well as for myself. I struggled to give it to myself until I heard other people living with similar situations. And then I could give it to them. I I could give compassion to other women who were married to ADHD rebels. And then I could give it to myself. So I stopped waiting for some imaginary permission slip to let me do what I wanted. I started taking weekends by myself. I signed up for coaching programs. I started doing things that brought me joy. And the more I filled up my tank and prioritized how I felt, the less anger and resentment I felt towards others. Toward my kids, towards my husband. It didn't change the amount of work I did. I just changed my thoughts around the distribution of labor in my home. And the anger dissipated, went away. I was no longer snappy or bitter or (laughs) yelling or trying to fight for justice. It just evaporated once I allowed that compassion to come in and identify what was unbearable and what. I really, really needed. I started giving it to myself. Okay, today's life coaching answer for what gets in our way from using anger to fuel appropriate action. All right, well, let's take this Angelica's example. Okay, she says, I'm mad at the poor job our school is doing to accommodate my child's learning disability. That's just one of the things that she's mad about. So we're going to use that as an example. When she asks herself the question, what do I need that I'm not getting? Her higher self might answer an explanation. A teacher who gets it 
or someone else to manage his academic progress because I'm exhausted and overwhelmed, right? So when she gets quiet and she breathes, she allows the anger to be there, the frustration and injustice, she can respect it. Then she asks the question, what do I need that I'm not getting? It might just be someone else who appreciates and understands your kid. When you ask the question, what am I experiencing that feels unbearable? You might get an answer like, going this alone, like feeling all alone and trying to educate my kid with a learning disability when I'm not an expert in learning disabilities. Like it feels like maybe all his learning you know, academic progress is on my shoulders. And maybe that's what feels unbearable. Or maybe watching my child struggle in a system that isn't built for him. Maybe that feels unbearable. When you ask yourself these questions, what do I need that I'm not getting? And what am I experiencing that feels unbearable? Your next step might illuminate itself. It might become very clear what you need to do. But In order to take an action step, like advocate for my child, ask for a new teacher, interview and hire a tutor, help uh, like start the process of switching schools, finding a school that's a better fit for my child. In order to do any of those things, we have to believe that we are worthy of getting what we want that we're worthy of a better situation or worthy of help or worthy of having people that get it. You know, it's going to bring up our fears, our insecurities, because we've been taught to play nice. We've been taught to keep quiet, swallow our anger, or get mad and fight and not really take action. You know, to stand up to injustice and advocate for ourselves or others, we have to believe we're worthy of getting what we want. So taking action to right wrongs means we have to defy cultural norms. This brings up a lot of fear. Many people would rather stay stuck in anger than have to feel scared, vulnerable, valuable, and worthy. (laughs) It doesn't sound right, but it's totally true if you think about it for a minute. Like, I think obviously we can relate to like, I don't want to feel scared and vulnerable. I just want everybody to do what I want them to do, but I don't want to have to ask for it right? It's like the classic thing of like, my husband should just know to bring me flowers. I shouldn't have to tell him to bring me flowers. Like we don't want to feel worthy, valuable, and vulnerable. We just want somebody else to make us feel good so that we don't have to go into those scary places. So in order for me to check into a hotel by myself for the weekend, I had to go against my cultural programming that self-care is selfish, that a mother's place is in the home and it's you shouldn't leave your children. You shouldn't ever want to be away from your children is definitely some social programming I had received. I had to go against the cultural programming that it's better to give than to receive. I thought a good mom gives and gives and gives 100% of the time. So in order for me to even out the balance, and go take some time by myself to enjoy and indulge and relax, I had to believe that receiving is just as important as giving. That's a lot of cultural programming to have to fight against. 
So if I was, well, actually, I did have to do this. It's not an if. When I went to advocate to a teacher, my kid's teacher, because my kids were stressed out, I had to do this with both kids at different ages. I had to go and tell the teacher that I am taking my child off of homework for the rest of the year. I'm not going to allow her to do homework. When I went to the teacher and said this, I was shaking in my boots. (laughs) I was scared to death because I had to go against my cultural programming that says good girls obey authority, don't rock the boat, they follow the rules, and they do what they're told. But my child was crying over homework every night in first grade. And I knew from my background as an educator, as a life coach, like I knew it was completely completely unnecessary. And she was learning to hate reading and hate school. And I just, I knew that the consequences were terrible. And so I had to go and fight against this, but I used my anger at the system, this unhealthy system that the teacher had bought into. I mean, she's just a victim of cultural programming too, which often even comes from the parents. Parents complain about not having enough homework. They used to, and that's how the tide turned. But anyways, so it was very hard, but I used the anger from the injustice of watching my child cry over homework every day to fuel that action. So the best way to do this is in a group setting. Doing this on my own was super duper hard. (laughs) I talked to friends. I tried to get like moral support. I called them before and after and, you know, but to be able to do this in a group setting with other people really helps because the cultural programming is, you know, it's scary to go it alone, to feel like I'm the only one who sees it this way. I'm the only one who thinks this way. To like go against the tide feels super vulnerable. So when you have other people around you who share the cultural values that you're wanting to adopt and you're wanting to like step into, then it helps so much. And so this is why a group coaching program is so brilliant. I cannot think of a better way to use your anger to fuel appropriate action than to be in a group with other like-minded people. So my Leading Your Teen coaching program shares the belief that when we pursue the things that make us feel alive, free, just, and, you know, feel appropriate, it makes us feel peaceful, that we can create a life that we love And that when we do so, we inspire our families and communities to do the same. Like when you're in a group of people, other people who all agree the same thing, it's super helpful. Instead of like, you know, being a group of people who believe there's one right way and your way is not it, that makes it really hard. But when we focus on filling up our tanks as moms, that when we take care of our own needs first, we inadvertently and without effort give courage to others to believe in themselves. When we value ourselves and believe we are worthy, we tell our families that we believe in them too, that they have inherent worth and value. And we model for our kids how to stand up for what's right. So group coaching program can be really helpful if you find yourself 
struggling to take the action steps you need because you're so mired in cultural programming. Today's Supermom Kryptonite is defensive teenagers. Because of functional MRI machines, the last few decades has given us huge insights into the minds of teenagers. So Angelica mentioned that her teenager accuses her of always being mad and yelling, which is not a fun thing to hear. Anger is a natural response when someone accuses you of something negative and untrue which we know this sentence is true because nobody is always yelling. Like you, you're asleep for eight hours a day or six or five, depending how young your kids are. But when you're sleeping, you're not yelling, right? There's obviously moments you're not yelling, but no one's always yelling. So when you get accused by your teenager of always being in a bad mood, like of course it's going to ignite anger appropriately and justified. So, What we know about teenage brains is, okay, this is how it works. They took these teenagers and they put them in these fMRI machines, right? So they're like awake and they show them pictures inside the machines and they're mapping their brains while doing it so they can watch and see what's happening. So they showed teenagers and adults because they wanted to see the difference, pictures of facial expressions. So they showed people who were emoting anger, fear, surprise, shock, and just like a neutral facial expression. And they show these pictures to adults and to teens during an fMRI. The adults were able to correctly identify the emotion with activity in their like frontal lobes, like their logical brain that could decipher and think about what facial expression is that they could identify it correctly. But the teenagers interpreted all these facial expressions as anger, neutral face, anger, shock, anger, surprise, anger, fear, anger. And the part of the brain that started to light up on these MRI machines was the amygdala. And so This is the emotional part of the brain, not the logical thinking part of the brain. So when they see a facial expression of neutral, they get reactive. They get defensive. They're coming from their amygdala. And so when your teenager accuses you of being mad all the time, that could be because you're in neutral or you're surprised or you're scared or worried or something. And your teenager is interpreting your facial expressions, your body language, your voice tone, whatever. She's mad at me. I mean, this is like teenagers, right? Like they complain about their teacher and, you know, she was mad at me. And they they think, you know, they say one word and like, oh my God, my friend thinks I'm this. You know, they tend to overreact to situations. And now we know why they tend to overreact with anger or defensiveness or kind of reading something into it that isn't actually there. It's because of how their brains are wired and they're using their amygdala to interpret facial expressions and other people. So teenagers are going to think that we're angry and yelling even when we're just thinking. (laughs) We're just like staring out the window into space. With age and further development of the frontal lobes, the teenagers' defensive reactions will calm down 
and they'll be able to see a wider range of emotional expression without thinking everyone is mad at them. Today's super mom power boost is healthy anger. All right, so healthy anger. We're going to boost your energy with it. It's hard to know what healthy anger looks like because we usually see anger expressed in unhealthy ways. Number one might be expressing it verbally and physically, blaming others, violating other people's boundaries and their sense of safety by yelling. You know, when we think about people expressing anger, we, you know, think about throwing things yelling at people, getting up in your face, pointing a finger, blaming, all this stuff, right? That's not healthy anger. Number two way we see anger expressed in unhealthy ways is we see it passive aggressively. We might see it with a sarcastic remark, a snide comment, with ignorance, forgetfulness, ghosting, exclusion, and omission, You know, the silent treatment, a backhanded compliment, a like, oh, bless her heart kind of fake smile, right? So this is passive aggressive anger, which also is not a healthy expression of anger. The third way that we might see anger expressed is suppression and denial. No, I'm not mad. No, it's fine. No, really. It's okay. I was just, I'm here. (laughs) You can hear it in the voice. Suppression and denial. We say we aren't mad, but it leaks out in other places. Road rage, overeating, overdrinking, overworking, blaming ourselves, thinking, you know, it's all my fault, guilt, all these ways that we experience anger when we suppress it and deny it. None of these three ways of expressing anger are healthy. The reason it's hard to see healthy anger in action is because it often turns into love. I might join a march for justice, not because I'm angry, but because I love the people. I love the cause. I love the camaraderie, the support. Angelica might happily drive her son around because she loves him and his passion for all of his after-school social activities. Angelica might advocate for educational resources because she loves the local school. She doesn't want to change schools. And so she might get in there and fight for what's right for her kid and other kids. She might help educate the teachers, the staff, and help them understand her kid because she loves her kid. She might change schools because she loves the support of teachers who already understand learning differences. She might love finding someone who knows more than she does about her kid and how best to educate. To help your rage turn into love, ask yourself this question. What would make my anger go away? I used to get really mad at people who made racial slurs. So angry that it was hard for me to articulate and advocate in a way that I like felt proud of. Because <laughs> it was usually like trying not to cry, shaking with anger, stumbling over my words. Like not like my best advocacy. <laughs> 
So when I asked myself this question, what would make my anger at racial slurs go away? My first response was like, I don't want it to go away. I want to be angry. But when I breathed and I got quiet and I made room for compassion for my anger, right? Not compassion for racist comments, not compassion for people who are making racial slurs. I allowed compassion for my anger. Then I was able to go inside myself and realize that what I needed for my anger to go away was self-forgiveness. I made a racial slur when I was nine years old. And I had been beating myself up for it ever since. And when I allowed myself forgiveness and made peace with the past, I was able to turn my anger into love. When I could love all the people, then I was able to articulate my and voice my... correction, I guess. I would offer a correction. Like, may I offer you an alternative to that racial slur? May I give you another way to word that so that it doesn't offend people? I was able to advocate and stand up for what I wanted and stand up for a racial community that I wanted to advocate for in a way that made me proud and was educational and not confrontational. So, Maybe what would help Angelica's anger go away is to spend less time with an angsty teenager and more time having fun with her husband. Because you did notice that that comment was the most triggering of all of them. She got really pissed when her husband said she doesn't have any fun anymore. So that might be the way to make her anger evaporate is to start having more fun. Maybe she needs a coalition of other parents at the school fighting the same cause. Maybe just a few more pleases and thank yous during her day. A little more appreciation could make all the difference to turn her anger into love. And then she can ask herself this next question. How can I find peace if nothing ever changes? I used this one a lot when I would rage against the TV news. Hearing about all the crap happening in the world would send me down an angry, powerless, fearful spiral. Once I accepted that our world would never be perfect, life got so much easier. From the beginning of time, there has been violence, injustice, poverty, and cruelty. Accepting that this is not heaven on earth and these elements may always exist gave me my power back. I was able to turn my anger into fuel to act upon change I believed in and still love the earth, love the planet, love the people that are on it and not always be stuck in it should be different. People shouldn't do this. It should change. It should be better. What if it never changes? What if it's always going to be this way? Or there's always going to be injustices and violence and cruelty. Like, do I really want to be mad my entire existence on earth? And I did not, (laughs) turns out. The answer was no. I turned my anger into fuel so that I could be loving and stay vibrating in love and not anger. It was a life-changing question 
for me, and I hope it is for you too. Ask it every time you hear yourself say, it's not fair. That's the anger. And then ask yourself these questions. Allow your anger to turn into love and peace. Today's quote of the day. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Marianne Williams. All right, super moms. I will love you and leave you. And if you've got a teenager, I hope to see you in my Leading Your Teen group coaching program or one-on-one coaching program. You can go to leadingyourteen.com to check it out and learn more. Take care. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.